The following program is sponsored by Friends of Life Outreach International. Next, founder of Mosaic, Erwin McManus, challenges us to live our life with relentless ambition, a heart on fire, and no regrets. I wrote this a year before. It said, I need to tell you before you hear from someone else that I'm dying. I wrote that sentence a year before. No idea I had cancer. And now on the night that I discover I have cancer, I read this line, and it's almost as if I've written something to me in the future. And those words were waiting for me. I was just telling the audience here, and by the way, I'm James Robinson. Betty and I are glad to have you join life today. I've been wearing glasses for years. Betty actually said, I like you with your glasses on, makes you look a little bit more dignified, and, you know, and so I'm not wearing glasses now. I had cataracts removed, couldn't believe the light's so bright. I mean, I thought Betty put new lighting in the house, <laughs> but they put new lenses in, and I can actually pick something up and read it. I can even read it in not such good light, and I can see distance, and I have depth perception. It's kind of a miracle. And you know what uh, I've been praying as I've got better vision? I pray I'll have the greatest possible spiritual vision. As a matter of fact, I'm praying that for the whole church. Uh, we have a guest that I think has, uh, well, he's, he's a walking, living miracle at the moment. Uh, his church, uh, Mosaic, that is in... Uh, Hollywood of all places. I don't laugh. Hollywood. Can I have a church in Hollywood. And I mean, and it's standing. It stays. It's there. And it's growing. And Erwin McManus has had this incredible just gifting of God. I mean, it's like, how could it happen? And, you know, in the middle of writing this book, something unbelievable happened. And then you'd say, no one wants to hear. But he heard what no one wants to hear. And it became part of the journey and the story. Would you welcome Erwin McManus? He wrote the book, Barbarian, The Barbarian. And this is the new one, The Last Hour. Would you welcome Erwin to life? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. How's it going in Hollywood, by the way? <laughs> it's going so well. We're having a wonderful time. We love Hollywood, California. <laughs> now, do, you, do the actors and actresses listen? Because I, <laughs> I don't think they do well at the uh, Oscar presentations <laughs> to represent your church quite like you'd want them to. How are they doing? You know, you know what? I, I've been in L.A. for 25 years, and I've seen a lot of people come and go. And, and you usually think about Hollywood as the big celebrities, the ones who everyone knows. But there are tens of thousands of young actors and actresses and, you know, uh, individuals who want to be directors and producers and be in the film industry who never make it. But they're, they're the most creative and intelligent and talented people from their cities all over the world. And what people don't realize is that L.A. is, is a magnet for some of the most gifted, talented, creative people on the planet. It just gives us the best opportunity to talk to them about Jesus. And for the, the ones that don't make it in the movie industry... Isn't it just fantastic to know that we're going to get those people and they're going to be a part of what Jesus is doing in the world? No, I think that's great. I want you to tell us about your journey and, and the last hour. I want, to, I, want to, I want you to go to this book because 
you know, you really do have a gift to write, and you believe it is a gift God has given you. Absolutely. And, and something happened that I think you need to share with us. Tell us about what led you to even begin writing this, and then kind of what happened in the midst. Sure. When I first started writing the book, I, I was writing it because, like yourself, been on a long journey, seen a lot of decades pass in life. I'm almost 60 years old. And I've seen so many people with incredible talent and intelligence and potential and the kinds of people that others could look at and say something amazing is going to happen to their life. And then they hit some really um, hard moments in their life, hit some huge struggles. And it's almost as if they were trapped under the rubble of their failure. And I started wondering after I was reading a particular passage of scripture when the king was told to strike his arrow and he struck it one, two, three times and stopped. And Elisha got angry and said, why'd you stop? If you had kept striking, you would have had a full victory. And, I, and in that moment, I thought to myself, I wonder how many times I actually quit, but I thought I failed. Mm. I wonder how many of us have not expected enough from God. Because it began by saying to the king, you're going to have a complete victory. But it ended by saying, you're only going to have a partial victory. I wonder how many of us, God has this huge dream for our life. God has such incredible intention for our life. But we dream so little. We pray so small that we have such a small amount of faith that we actually exercise that we never live the bigness of the life God has for us. That's what motivated the book. And it was really born in a conversation I had with my stepdad. My, uh, my son Aaron was 15 years old. I had not seen my stepdad for 15 years. But he wanted to meet the man who gave me the name McManus. So I found him across the country. We flew, uh, set up an appointment with him, got to see him. He was happy to see us. And, and I was just struck that the, the one moment I saw my stepdad after 15 years, the only conversation he ever had with my son. He looked at my son and he said, I don't know what your dad has told you, but he was just average. His brother, now he was exceptional, he was really talented, but he was just average. And, and in that moment, I, I remember just saying, hey, dad, what else would I tell him? I, I told him I was just average. And I thought, how strange that the one thing he wanted to make sure that he could pass on to my son was that his dad was just average. As I walked away, I, I, I felt really heavy, but I realized I wasn't heavy because this is what he chose to say about me or what he chose to tell my son. What really bothered me is it was true. In fact, to say I was average would almost be a compliment. I was really below average. I never even rose up to average. I hid being average. I found myself a safe place where I could be uh, lost in mediocrity. And I, I started asking myself, I wonder how many of us are comfortable with average? Because you know as well as I do, when you're just average, no one's against you. When you're just average, you have no enemies. It's when you aspire to achieve something that matters, when you aspire toward greatness, when you open up your soul to great faith and you say, God, I want you to do great things in my life, all of a sudden you become a target. Because we're not afraid of average, but we are afraid of greatness. And that's what has inspired the book, The Last Arrow. I want every person, when they take their last breath, to know they've given everything they have. That they took all the talent, the potential, the gifting, the purpose, the intention, and the dream that God created them to live out. And I want it to be lived out. I'm convinced we're all dreams of God before we take our first breath. And I know you are too. But I thought to myself, if, if we're a dream of God before we take our first breath, shouldn't we live out the dream of God before we take our last breath? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Say that again. <laughs> if you're a dream of God before you took your first breath, shouldn't you live out the dream of God before you take your last breath? 
See, I really believe that many people don't understand that. Betty, if anybody ever felt average, yeah. you did. Yeah, and I think so many people don't believe that they're a dream of God. Yeah. You know, they That's don't so even believe it. And so they, they get stopped. They get halted right there. Mm. They don't ever go beyond, like you said, where they're comfortable. But I think a lot of people also, all they hear about God is that God is uh, a judge, a condemner, that God's all about wrath, that God's angry, that God's all about laws. We forget that God is the source of all creativity, of all beauty, that God is the source of imagination and wonder, and that there is no one more artistic or creative than God. The reason we can dream and imagine, the reason we can laugh and celebrate, the reason we can enjoy life is because that's a reflection of who God is. So I, I love that it says in the Bible that God rested from his work of creating. You know, God wasn't an accountant, nothing wrong with accountants. And he wasn't a manager, God was an artist. His job was the work of creating, and we're the result of creative work. Uh, in in um, the last book I wrote called The Artisan Soul, I actually wrote this statement, you are both a work of art and an artist at work. Mm. Wow. We are the result of a creative God who imagined us, and now we're to create the life that God imagines for us. You know, I wish people would grasp what that means, what that looks like. Uh, and I think you really do have to seek the Lord. What, what is it you want me to uh, be a part of a divine design and fulfillment? And, and one of the things that happened to me, you tell me if you, if you bear witness with what I say here. As a teenager, I was the kid that was never picked because I moved all the time. Nobody knew me. Me too. Uh, I was definitely average or below average. <laughs> but, but when the Lord called me, and said he wanted to use me, I, I, I knew it was a call of God. And I, I couldn't imagine how I would do it, because I even asked, how would I live? And he says, where's your faith? I said, it's all in you. But one of the verses that I had memorized right after that impact was, if you lose your life for my sake, and I, I really did understand that to mean for his purpose, his kingdom purpose. Mm -hmm. In other words, what is his purpose? You lose your life in that purpose, you'll find it. And I really did that, and Betty did too. And so when we lost our life in his purpose, we found life, and dreams began to be fulfilled. So I actually was so committed to kingdom purpose that I found out God was also committed to my heart desires. Mm -hmm. And it was amazing how because I was sold out to him, he seemed to be vitally interested in me. Now here's where I am at this point in my life, and I don't know when people get there, I don't know if getting there right now or at any age, a young age, would be better or I, if we say, well, we're okay to pursue our dreams as we live for kingdom purpose. But I have so seen my dreams fulfilled mm -hmm. that I have lost my life in wanting to see his dream fulfilled for his church, for his family, mm -hmm. and the prayer of Jesus fulfilled in John 17, that we're one with the Father as He is, relationship, that His Word perfects us, sanctifies us, mm. not arguing, debating, and discussing merely, but the Word transforming us. And then we love one another mm. in perfect supernatural unity. Then the world will know we're actually His family. We're actually His disciples. So I've lost myself wanting that. Do you think that's misguided devotion, that I've lost myself wanting to see His prayer answered and His dreams fulfilled? Or do you think that might be a point of, let's say, even wise maturity? I think you're actually describing something that is reflected in a great marriage. Because in, in, a, in a bad marriage, you keep wanting the other person to make you happy. And in, um, in, in a good marriage or an extraordinary marriage, um, you're, 
you find happiness in the other person's happiness. Mm -hmm. But I think in that marriage that is just like unbelievable, you, your happiness actually is that other person's happiness. That unless that person is happy, you don't experience happiness at all. And I know that's true in, in my own life. I've been married 34 years and nothing gives me a greater sense of fulfillment when I see Kim happy. <laughs> and it's, it's not just that it makes my life easier. <laughs> it's that it makes my life better. You know, James, you really hit at one of the core um, principles in the book. Because I had finished the manuscript over a year ago and then just this uh, last Christmas, I was going through a series of tests. In fact, I've gone through a series of tests for almost 10 years because I could not get life insurance. And I kept trying to get life insurance and there was nothing wrong with me that I could tell and I was healthy and I was living life. And you know, I felt a little tired at times and there were things that I knew were just off but I never mentioned them to anybody. But, but no tests ever validated there was nothing wrong with me. Sometimes I thought maybe it's just growing old, right? Maybe I'm just losing my energy or maybe something's you know, just not working the way it used to. And, and this Christmas, I um, went through a series of tests and I went to the doctor's office to hear that I had a clean bill of health. That's why I went in. And I'm sitting next to my wife and this doctor tells me that I have cancer. Mm. And when he said that, and, and I know that's uh, really close to home for you guys, and when you hear the words, you have cancer, what you're hearing is you're dying. Yeah. And um, I looked at my wife and she just looked broken. And for me, even in the process, what I saw my family experience was the most painful part of it, not even what I experienced. And, and we had planned a little dinner afterwards with my kids, my son Aaron and my daughter Mariah. They're in their 20s, but we're going to celebrate that I was healthy. And I didn't reschedule it. We met there in this public restaurant where people kind of knew who we were. I shared with my kids that I had cancer, and it was just a really, really hard night. You can imagine, in fact, you know, the level of emotion that was there. When everybody was exhausted, they all went home, went to sleep. I sat down in a chair and I thought, this might be my last Christmas. Uh, it might be the last time I can buy my wife a gift or my son or daughter. This might be my last series of lasts. And, and then it hit me. I, I, I had a manuscript in my hand and the name of it was The Last Arrow. And it might be my last book. It might be my last arrow. Mm. And so I opened up the manuscript that night, the same night they told me I had cancer. I thought, I need to finish this book. I don't know what the future holds for me. And I opened it to the middle of the manuscript where I had left off, and the first sentence I read, and I underlined it, I highlighted it, and I wrote the date down so I would never forget it. I wrote this a year before. It said, I need to tell you before you hear it from someone else that I'm dying. I wrote that sentence a year before, no idea I had cancer. And now on the night that I discover I have cancer, I read this line, and it's almost as if I've written something to me in the future. And those words were waiting for me. And then the next line to me is the most important line in the book. It says, but then again, so are you. Mm. <laughs> and I, I sat down and I started reflecting on where I was. And I know people experience this differently. I gave myself permission to feel whatever I needed to feel. If I was afraid, I was going to be afraid. If I was angry, I was going to feel angry. If I was bitter, I was going to feel bitter. So I, I just told myself, you just have to be honest and feel whatever's there. And I don't know fully how to explain to you this, but I never felt anger. I never felt bitterness. And what surprised me is that I never felt fear. And, but I could see my family did, and they felt all those emotions mm -hmm. because they were going to lose me. And I started reflecting on why didn't I feel these things. And I realized when I was younger, when I began following Jesus, I was in an incredibly violent space in a world of drug cartels and <laughs> where people were killed on a regular basis, and I was terrified one day. 
and I asked God to give me something to hold on to. And it wasn't fear not for I'm with you or I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me or anything like that. The verse that came to mind was to die as, uh, to live as Christ and to die as gain. That's not what I wanted to hear from God right then. It was not encouraging or affirming <laughs> in any way. But in that moment, I felt God said to me, Erwin, if you'll just die and put death behind you, I have life in front of you. And I realized that cancer could define how I died, but it could not define how I lived. Mm. And that death was behind me. And that's why it didn't have the same effect on me that it has on so many other people. And I remember standing before a community at Mosaic and saying, I have cancer, but I want you to understand something. Death is so last year. And uh, death is behind me and life is ahead of me. And I've always told our community, because we have a lot of atheists who come, a lot of agnostics, a lot of Buddhists, and they go, well, how do you know there's a heaven? How do you know there's an afterlife? And I'll say, you know what the best proof of life after death is? Life before death. Yeah. Hmm. And the only reason you don't know there's life after death is that you have not come to know life before death. But I can tell you this, in the middle of having had cancer, in the middle of having surgery this January, in the middle of all the indignities of, that cancer brings, that Jesus has been everything to me that he ever promised me he would be. And I... I went back and I had to rewrite the last arrow. I had to rewrite the first chapter and the last chapter because I wrote this book as if I were dying. And then I was able to rewrite the book at the prospect of the reality of death. And then since the surgery, I've been able to live the book out. And, uh, and it's been the most powerful thing in the world for me. I, I'm more excited about this book than any book I've ever written because I am convinced it's going to take people out of the slumber of existence into the wonder of life. Don't you think that's exciting yeah. to know we can go there? I, uh, you know, you, you express things because you have a marvelous gift. And like you said, you would much rather people read what you write and you have so much more confidence in that as the gift God's given you that it just comes alive. And, and I think you'll find that. Because if you really understand that finding life is losing it in his purpose, in his will, which is really best, uh, it's, it's beyond anything we could ever imagine. Would you say thanks to Erwin for being a vessel? <laughs> And you're doing well now. I'm doing Everybody great. Everybody wants to know about this, this battle. I am doing great. I, I, in fact, I, I was sharing with you that three hours after I, I had surgery for six hours, I woke up my wife. I got, I got the nurse. And they said, what do you want? I said, I'm getting up and I'm walking. They said, you can't get up and walk. You just had surgery. I said, I can't do any more damage. So I got, and they said, do you want painkillers? I said, no, I want to feel this pain because I know if I can overcome this pain, I can face anything. And one of the things I really want to emphasize in the book is that a lot of us don't realize that our greatest life is on the other side of our pain and suffering. And that whatever we fear, that's the boundaries of our freedom. Mm -hmm. We need to push through our fear. We need to push through the pain and live the life that God created us to live. Isn't that great? You see what he's saying? Right here. And you can take this home. I hope you'll get it. And you know, you know what our viewers love? And this, this is so exciting. As a matter of fact, this is way before Christmas. <laughs> This is a little ornament. This is, this is the crystal shoe. We give shoes to children all over the world, <laughs> and we give them cleft palate surgery. We give them a smile. I'm smiling because I know what it means. This is awesome, and, and I want you to, to just kind of look in. And, and you want to have fun? Well, you give joy to somebody that never expected it. 
You be that source of joy. You be that miracle that someone longed for. Never dreamed would happen. And you can be that. And boy, to tie it to Christmas, the greatest miracle gift of all. Watch closely. We're approaching the time of the year when Life Outreach does its Christmas Shoes and Smiles campaign. The smiles are for corrective surgery, but what we're doing today is we're giving these young boys and young girls shoes for the very first time. You can actually see the importance of what we're doing because look at this little girl, Veronica. She's got these sores on her feet already. She's obviously never owned a pair of shoes. She's been walking around bare feet. Baby, they just tough it out and they play. But we found out right here in this area that hookworms get in the skin, get in the bloodstream, ultimately into the intestines, and cause very serious disease and sometimes death. And we can turn it around by just simply giving them shoes. Something as simple as a pair of shoes can really change a child's life. This is a happy place today. <laughs> Look at this face. Who wouldn't want to give her a gift for Christmas? <laughs> so thank you so much. On behalf of her family, those who love her, <laughs> I think you put the biggest smile on her face that we've seen all day. So thank you. Thank you for the gift of shoes. Thank you for the gift of life. You go run around. <laughs> I hope, and I can't imagine that you're not smiling. Betty, what do you think when you see that? You've, you've actually been there. You've seen the situation. You've seen how love impacts them. Well, I just, I smile, I'm smiling along with those children as they're dancing up and down with their new shoes on. You know, shoes have never meant so much as they do to these children because you see what happens to their feet and they walk on all kinds of trash and junk and cut their little feet and then it causes disease to set in. So I'm thrilled. I love, this is one of my favorite times of the year when we give the shoes to the children for their precious little feet. <laughs> well, I'm telling you what, we, these are, these are precious little shoes here. Uh, I, I want to ask you to to give as many shoes as you can right now. I know it's way before Christmas, but this is the last week now that we're asking for your help, and they cost three dollars and sixty cents a pair. Think about this now: thirty-six dollars, thirty-six dollars. Ten children have a pair of shoes. One hundred and eighty dollars, and I want to use that figure because we're going to need those kind of gifts. Uh, that'll give 50 children shoes. So this is an amazing thing that you can do. And then we're also emphasizing the cleft palate surgery. When you can give a child a smile, and you can, and we have the doctors that are ready to, to do the surgery, and because of their willingness to serve, the surgeries are only $500 each. I know that's, that's a lot, but when you really compare it to what it would be back here in North America and more of the advanced countries, it'd be far more than that. But these are doctors that are willing to give their time, but we have to cover those costs. Would you consider giving maybe two children smiles with a gift of $1,000? Here's what we're doing. Uh, I mentioned the, the little uh, crystal shoe, how beautiful it is, and, and we would really like for you to have that for any gift that you make. But I want you to also see this. Here are all the shoes that we have offered over the years. The little crystal shoes at the top. And you can see now then, we've got seven shoes that we'll be sending. And you talk about a beautiful decor for your tree and a great conversation piece that inspires people to think about, what have I done? 
in the way of giving love to someone else. We're sending this to those of you who will make the gift of $180 or more. Of course, you know we've got the beautiful determined Eagle Bronze that we're sending to those of you who will provide two of the cleft palate surgeries. Betty, I want to ask you if we couldn't do this. We always give right up front. Mm -hmm. When we begin any project, we give. In this last week, I'd like for us to give two more cleft palate surgeries, mm -hmm. and I'd like for us to give 50 more pairs of shoes. Mm -hmm. So that would be like $1,180. We might round that off to $1,200. Like we handle that. that. Like this the last week, some of you may have done what we've done, we gave earlier, but in this last week, we just need a surge of support. So could you do that? Would you give two children, hey, think about what it's gonna to do to their parents, to their family, what it's gonna to do to others when they see that beautiful smile that love provided. Would you do that? And would you give as many shoes as possible? Thank you so much for doing it. Thank you for sharing that love. Poverty is a killer, and because of it, children needlessly suffer, not only from a lack of food and clean water, but also from a lack of things we take for granted, such as a healthy smile or a simple pair of shoes. Far too many children living in poverty have never owned a new pair of shoes. And while that may seem minor in light of all their needs, walking with bare feet puts them at risk of life-threatening infections and disease that could lead to crippling consequences and even death. By responding today, you can help immediately secure and begin shipping Christmas shoes to 150,000 children around the world, just in time for the holidays. Your gift of $36 will help provide 10 pairs of shoes. A gift of $72 will help provide 20 pair. And a gift of $180 will help provide 50 pairs of Christmas shoes for children in need. With your gift of any amount, be sure to request this beautifully crafted crystal shoe ornament a treasure to place on your tree each holiday season. With your gift of $180 or more, you may also request this keepsake boxed set of life's Christmas shoe ornaments. Finally, please consider a gift of $1,000 or more to help provide over 275 pairs of shoes or two children with corrective cleft palate surgeries, and you may request our Determined Eagle bronze sculpture. This is the last week. Please call, write, or make your gift online today. Well, I'm actually praying that, that we might send out as many of these eagles as we have all year. Wouldn't it be wonderful if every child that needed a surgery for some kind of a deformed lip or cleft palate, please, let, let's give as many $1,000 gifts as possible. And Betty, I'm praying that many people will give the 50 okay. shoes, but uh, whatever you can do, the 50 pairs of shoes will do it. You see the uh, website there. You see the phone number. If you ever called and got a busy, you be determined. Call until you get through because you're sharing love. So you be real, real determined to do that. Would you please? And make the gift God put on your heart. And also, if you would like to have The Last Era by Erin McManus, you ask for it. He's walking this out right now. And he's watching miracles. And I think we can be a part of fulfilling the miracle journey that God has planned for each of us. Would you join Betty and me saying thanks to Erin for being a blessing? You help us and you want this book, you give shoes, just ask for it. God bless you. Thanks, Erin.
Tomorrow, pastor of First Baptist Church in Dallas, Dr. Robert Jeffress, answers the most frequently asked questions about heaven and suggests ways we can begin preparing now. Life Today is made possible by the supporters of Life Outreach International. Your gift will be used exclusively for the exempt purposes of life. The ministry features specific outreaches as examples of the programs it supports and conducts. Gifts are considered to be without restriction as to use unless explicitly stipulated by the donor. The ministry is a member of the ECFA.